All right. Uh, we are in John 19 in our series uh, called Unlocking. Uh, Dr. Dave Robinson is with us this morning. He's going to join me up here. He's going to read for us this morning. And we've been journeying through basically uh, the last days of Jesus' life uh, over the last six weeks. And uh, even though today is Palm Sunday, we, we looked at the Palm Sunday text several weeks ago, and we've been journeying from that time of Jesus entering Jerusalem on a donkey uh, to his uh, interactions with the religious elite in Jerusalem uh, to the point where he is arrested and being tried before Caiaphas uh, and Annas the high priest and um, now Pilate. And so Jesus, uh, what led up to this point, Jesus at one point after coming into Jerusalem on a donkey, he enters the temple courts and he overturns the tables of the money changers and he says, uh, my house shall be called a house of prayer, you've made it a den of robbers. He's quoting from both the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Jeremiah. And when we read these texts in context, we see what Jesus is saying is that the religious elite of Jesus' day have excluded certain people from worship at God's temple. And Jesus is saying, everyone is welcome. Everyone is included. Doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what you've done, everyone is included in this movement of Jesus, and everyone is invited to worship this one God in spirit and in truth. And uh, this disrupts the whole temple system. This disrupts what uh, the religious elite of Jesus' day want to do. They, they've become friendly with Rome in order to preserve their position and their power. And so this leads ultimately to them arresting Jesus and trying him through the middle of the night and bringing him to Pilate. And last week we looked at the first part of this trial in front of Pilate, and today we're going to look at the rest of that trial. And uh, we're going to start in John 19. And the text today uh, starts in verse 17, but to create some context, I want to start a little sooner than that. First, at the beginning of John 19, Pilate has Jesus flogged, and, he, and the soldiers put a, uh, a purple robe on Jesus and a crown of thorns on Jesus uh, to mock him because uh, they, they've called him the king of the Jews. And so this is uh, their way of mocking Jesus as king by beating him putting this purple robe on him, and a crown of thorns on his head. And then verse 4. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. Okay, so the chief priests are shouting, Crucify, crucify him. Uh, what, a common misperception in these last days of Jesus is that as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the people are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, the son of David, uh, 
a lot of people uh, believe that that same group of people that are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David, are the same people outside of Pilate's palace shouting, crucify him, crucify him. If we study the text closely, what we see is that probably those common Jews who were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, uh, most of them are still sleeping because Jesus has been tried through the night. The people who are shouting crucify are primarily the religious elite of Jesus' day. Uh, John tells us it was the chief priests specifically who are shouting crucify him. And so they are trying to have this, this, um, they're trying to have this trial take place and get him crucified before many of Jesus' followers wake up and realize what is going on. And so uh, when John is talking about the chief priests uh, shouting crucify him, uh, a, a number of people have read the Gospel of John, and John uses the word Jews uh, kind of as a blanket statement, often referring to the religious elite. And the mistake would be to say it's all of the Jews who had Jesus crucified. It, it's not true simply because John himself was a Jew, Jesus was a Jew. Uh, Jesus' closest followers were Jews. And so there was this division among who wanted Jesus crucified and who didn't. And so the chief priests have Jesus tried through the middle of the night and want Jesus crucified. The Jews insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, don't you realize I have the power to either free you or crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Okay. Uh this is an interesting exchange between Jesus and Pilate. We, we've already seen an exchange last week where Jesus and Pilate are talking with each other, and uh, Pilate is asking Jesus, so are you a king? And uh, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Uh, that the kingdom Jesus is bringing is for this world, but it's not of this world. And what we see are two different types of power at play. Uh, the powers of the world, Pilate, the chief priests, the Roman soldiers, and then the kingdom of God and his power. And Jesus makes very clear here that Pilate has no power. Pilate says, don't you realize I have the power? I have the authority to let you go or not? And Jesus says, no, you don't. You don't realize what God is doing in our midst right here, right now. You would have no power or authority, Pilate, except that it's been given to you from above. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend to Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. 
Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Okay. Uh, this is a huge proclamation by the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Uh, uh, Pilate says, here is your king. And what's their response? We have no king but Caesar. Uh, that they have bought into the kingdom of the world. And they realize that in order for us to preserve what we have built here, in order for us to keep our temple, in order for us to keep our position, in order for us to cling to the power that we have, we must proclaim Caesar as king. Uh, their Hebrew scriptures, all throughout the Hebrew scriptures, it is very clear who their king is. It's God. And when it comes time for them to say to the prophet Samuel, we want a human king, just like all the other nations, that they compromise what they have been entrusted with, that they have been entrusted to, to lead and to see people come to know the one true king, and instead what they want is a human king like everyone else. And we fast forward all the way to the time of Jesus, and what we see is that they have said, our human king is Caesar. We proclaim Caesar as king. They're willing to do whatever it takes. They're willing to compromise at any level in order to see Jesus dead. And this is what they do in this moment. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Okay. Uh, this is a, a detail that all four Gospels tell us about Jesus carrying his cross. Uh, other Gospels talk about at some point Jesus was unable to continue carrying his cross, and Simon of Cyrene came and carried the cross, or was forced rather by the Roman soldiers to carry the cross for Jesus. But this, this is something that the gospel writers are highlighting, this idea of carrying the cross. And Jesus had spoken about this idea earlier. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. And so part of the challenge of our journey as followers of Jesus is discovering what, what does it look like to carry the cross? Uh, what does it look like to take up our own cross? Uh, next slide. Uh, taking up our cross goes to the heart of Christian formation and human formation. Uh, we, we as humans prefer everything to just go well, to go our way. Uh, and it's just simply not the way of Jesus. Uh, the way of Jesus is recognizing the brokenness of our world and our place in it. And what does it look like to take up the pain, the suffering, the heartache that we see all around us and our own and dig into it deeply and take up our cross and follow Jesus? Jesus showed us the way. Jesus showed us how to suffer. Jesus showed us how to die, and we're invited to follow Jesus as his disciples, as people who take up our cross daily and follow Jesus in this way, this path 
of the cross. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, divided them, among, uh, divided them into four shares, one for each of them, when the undergar- with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them and okay. cast lots for my clothing. So that's a quote from Psalm 22. There, there's a subtle thing going on here as well that John is talking about. Uh, it's interesting, Jesus' garment was woven in one piece. It was one piece. Uh, in the Hebrew scriptures, the, the garment for the high priest was one piece. And notice in Leviticus, it says, the high priest who has been ordained to wear the priestly garments must not tear his clothes. Uh, that one piece must not be torn. It must remain intact as one piece. And John is subtly helping us see, oh, there's a whole group of people here. There's the chief priests, there's Pilate, and there's the Roman soldiers, all who are crucifying or allowing Jesus to be crucified. And the chief priests are there wanting Jesus crucified when what John is subtly reminding us of is that the true high priest is the one who is wearing this one garment that will not be torn apart. That the true high priest is the one who is being nailed to a cross. While, while the chief priests of Jesus' day are saying, crucify him, crucify him, the true high priest is being crucified. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary of Magdala. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, He said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, Here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Okay. I want to think for a moment about the two groups of people at the cross. There are those who are crucifying Jesus or want Jesus dead. That's the chief priests, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, uh, Pilate, and the Roman soldiers. Then there's this group of people that come who clearly don't want Jesus dead. Uh, And and they are heartbroken, deeply concerned. Uh, There there are two very different groups of people that we're encountering at the cross. And these two very different groups of people are representing two very different ways of being in the world. 
Let's look at the next slide. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he says this, the, the cross, actually he doesn't say this yet, the cross overcomes evil with divine love by way of redemptive suffering and nonviolence. Then Dr. King says this, this method is directed against forces of evil rather than against persons who are caught in those forces. It is evil we are seeking to defeat, not the persons victimized by evil. Uh, and Dr. King studied the way of Jesus very closely and, and was the way he worked towards racial reconciliation and civil rights. Uh, here is Jesus who loves the world through redemptive suffering, nonviolent love. Jesus is dying for the sake of the world. He doesn't demonize the chief priests. He doesn't demonize the Roman soldiers. He doesn't demonize Pilate. What he's doing is conquering evil on the cross to free even those who are caught in the web of evil. Uh, next slide. In, in what ways may we be guilty of demonizing people rather than looking to defeat the evil that they are entangled in? Uh, I, for one, find it very easy <laughs> to judge others, even demonize others, rather than look at the web of evil they may be entangled in and pray for their freedom. Uh, I wonder what it looks like for us as a community of people to recognize the brokenness, the sin, the evil behind the behavior and how to pray for freedom and to look for a different way of being human in the world, the way of Jesus, the way of redemptive suffering, the way of nonviolent love. Um, how about this question? Uh, are we drawn by the kingdoms of the world or the kingdom that invites us to the foot of the cross? Uh, there's the chief priests, there's Pilate, there's the Roman soldiers, and then there's this group of women and the beloved disciple, uh, most of whom believe is the disciple John. Uh, which kingdom are we drawn by? Next slide. Uh, which group of people do you identify with? Perhaps both. Uh, we, we are a muddled people, aren't we? Uh, our deepest longings, our deepest desires are for God and, and to follow Jesus and to love Jesus well. And yet we so often get entangled in the kingdoms of the world, don't we? Uh, I wonder what it looks like for us to fall more and more in love with this crucified king and his way and the way he taught us to live and to live more and more free from the kingdoms of the world and the ways in which we so easily get entangled. Uh, as we look at the cross, what do we see? Do we see a poor man crucified by the powers and walk by indifferent? Or do we see the true king of the world dying for the sake of the world? If we see the true king, do we know how to live into his kingdom? Uh, what does it look like to see the crucified Jesus as the true king of the world?
who came to redeem it and restore it and to show us a better way of being human. Next slide. Uh, will we be at the foot of the cross filled with gratitude for the sacrificial love of Jesus and be moved to live a sacrificial life of love for the sake of the world? Which kingdom are we a part of? Which kingdom has our allegiance? Uh, where does our allegiance lie? Is it with a group of people? Is it with people who are like us? Uh, is it with a particular political party? Uh, or is it to the crucified Jesus who came and invites all into his way? Uh, where is our allegiance? Which kingdom do we serve? Uh, Jesus invites us into a different way of being in the world. Uh, notice the difference between those who are crucifying Jesus and, and those who are at the foot of the cross. Uh, those at the foot of the cross hold no power, authority, or wealth, but part of what it looks like to be in this kingdom is relationships where people care for one another. In the midst of his suffering, Jesus reminds his followers to care for each other. Uh, Jesus recognizes, I, I, I'm dying. And in his death, what he sees is his human mother and the beloved disciple. And he says, take care of each other. Care for one another. This, is, this goes right to the core of what it means to be human, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's to love and care for one another well. Jesus invites us to be a people who love and care for one another well. And in the midst of his most anguished suffering, Jesus is thinking about others. And he's thinking about making sure that his mother's taken care of. He, he's thinking about love. And that is what is dying on the cross, the, the God of love. This is what God looks like. This is what the true king of the world looks like, dying on a cross for the sake of the world. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and the sponge put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it up to Jesus's lips when he had received the drink. Okay, uh, so Jesus is thirsty and they offer him this wine vinegar drink. It was a very cheap wine, uh, very bitter wine. And uh, the, the word used for this bitter drink is used three times. In verse 29, a jar of wine vinegar, this bitterness, was there. So they soaked a sponge in the bitter wine, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, lifted it to Jesus' lips when he had received the bitter drink. Uh, and so a whole lot going on here. Um, the hyssop plant is what was used uh, to take the blood of the Passover lamb and put it over the doorpost in Exodus. And so very interesting here that they are handing Jesus this bitter wine on a hyssop plant 
Jesus, who is the true Passover lamb. At the same time Jesus is being crucified, they are sacrificing the Passover lamb in the temple. This is all happening uh, at the feast of Passover. And Jesus, the true Passover lamb, is dying on the cross and receiving the bitterness. Jesus takes all the bitterness upon himself. He allows it. He receives it. He didn't reject the bitter wine. He took it and received it. Um, So my wife and I were in Israel one time, and we went to uh, a Protestant service there. And at the end of the service, uh, they offered the Eucharist, and um, we came forward to partake. And in this uh, particular community, everyone drank from the same cup. So for those of you who are afraid of germs, you can be grateful that we take the bread and dip it in the cup. Uh, But everyone drank from the same cup in this community. And when we went forward to partake of the bread and the cup, uh, they used real wine uh, at this church, and it was the driest most, it burned going down my throat. And I was like, oh my goodness. But then it like immediately hit me. Of course, of course, it should burn going down. It, we should feel it in some physical capacity. Uh, it, 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 is, it remains one of the most memorable uh, encounters of communion that I've ever had because it struck me so deeply uh, that the wine they used was so dry and burned going down my throat. It just, it invited me into uh, the crucifixion in some uh, beautiful way that just allowed me in that moment briefly to glimpse the beauty and the pain and suffering that Jesus encountered and went through for you and for me on our behalf. Uh, And and so when we come and we partake of the bread and the cup, this is our opportunity to experience the presence of Jesus, his death, his crucifixion for our sake, what Jesus did on our behalf. It's beautiful and it's painful. It's glorious and it's this suffering that Jesus went through for us. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because okay. the Je- So he receives the bitter drink, and he says, it is finished. Uh, If I can have the next slide. Wendy Corbin says, God is revealed in Christ on the cross. God is present in Christ on the cross. A God who cannot suffer is a God who cannot love. The cross of Christ reveals for us the extent and depth of God's love born out of pain. Uh, Part of the beauty of the cross for us is to see that God is a God who suffers. God suffers for us, God suffers with us. Uh, When we wrestle with the pain and suffering and brokenness in the world, and we can't come up with good answers for why, we all ask why. Why? Why would God allow this? What what we know 
is that this creator God of the universe, who is love, enters into our humanity, enters into our pain, enters into our suffering, and takes it upon himself. We serve a God who suffers because we serve a God who loves. And it is this God who is working to redeem all things and by the power of the cross and ultimately the power of the resurrection is making all things new. Hebrews 9 tells us, when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The author of Hebrews tells us this is the true high priest. And while the old system was constantly sacrificing in the temple, Jesus somehow beautifully, mysteriously enters through a different type of tabernacle, a different type of temple, one we can't even imagine the beauty of, and offers himself. And by doing so, the old system is gone. It's no longer necessary. It couldn't accomplish what the true high priest of the universe accomplished for us on our behalf. Eternal redemption. When Jesus says it is finished, what looks like defeat is the victory of God. Uh, When the chief priests, when the Roman soldiers, when they hear Jesus say it is finished, they must be thinking, he's dying, it's done. But what Jesus meant by it is finished is that redemption is among us. Love is among us. Healing is among us. It is finished. It is complete. He has done what only he can do, entering into the suffering of the world and taking it upon himself. It is finished. That's the hope, the beauty, we live with, that this Jesus, God, became flesh, lived among us, and ultimately died for us, for our sake, and for the world. Uh, This is what we celebrate this week during Holy Week, and uh, I I hope you'll join us uh, Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and continue to reflect on this last week of Jesus's life and all that Jesus accomplished for us on our behalf. Uh, This morning, as we come and take the bread and dip it in the cup, I want to invite you to just reflect on a couple of questions. First, uh, where, where has there been defeat in your life? And where do you see God redeeming it? Uh, where has there been in your life, and maybe you're experiencing it right now, uh, this, this feeling of, it's finished. It's finished. It just, and you feel like giving up. Uh, the pain is so deep, and it just, it's finished. And yet, behind it is finished, God is working on a new beginning. Uh, a whole new thing is emerging. And God is inviting you into that whole new thing. Uh, if, you can, if you can get beyond the veil and cloudiness of the pain and suffering, what is God doing 
in the midst of your pain? What is God doing in the midst of your suffering that's bringing about new life, new hope, and a whole new way of moving forward? Another couple other questions maybe to reflect on as we come forward. What king and kingdom has your allegiance? Uh, where in your life maybe uh, does, not, does God not have your allegiance? And, and where in your life is God inviting you to release that and return to the foot of the cross and realign your allegiance to the crucified and risen king and high priest of the world? Uh, where in your life are you longing for Jesus to redeem your pain? Uh, we, we serve a God who is present to us in our pain, and always inviting us to experience the new life, the new hope that he promises us. Uh, This morning, as you come and take the bread and dip it in the cup, uh, my prayer is that you will experience the healing presence of Jesus, the loving presence of Jesus, this, this crucified and risen Lord who is the true king of the universe. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you came among us. Thank you for showing us how to live. We pray that we'll live into this way more fully, the way of the cross and ultimately the way of resurrection. God, thank you that Jesus is the true king and true high priest, true prophet of the world. Make us a people who long for you more and more. Make us a people who experience your hope and healing in our own lives so that we can offer that to those we encounter along the way. God, as we take the bread and dip it in the cup this morning, may we remember well all that you have done for us and may we experience you in new and beautiful and profound ways. We ask these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.